This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. In this study, we were focusing on people who had access care in community oncology clinics throughout the country. And um, and, and the population that we studied 98% of these people had some form of health insurance, either through Medicare, um, a small percentage Medicaid, but the vast majority had commercial insurance. And our key finding was that after, uh, at about a year from diagnosis, uh, close to 75% of patients experienced some form of financial hardship. Welcome to Gastro Broadcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Matthew. Today, we are joined by Dr. Veena Shankaran, who is co-director of Hutchinson Institute for Cancer Outcomes Research. Dr. Shankaran specializes in GI malignancies and has a particular interest in healthcare economics and policy. I'm excited for her to tell us about her new study, which found that most patients with metastatic colorectal cancer face financial hardship after diagnosis. Dr. Shankaran, welcome to Gastro Broadcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> we always like to start by getting to know our guests. When did you decide to become a physician and how did you choose oncology as your focus? Uh, well, um, I have uh, feel like I've been in medicine for longer than I haven't been at this point in my career, but um, I decided, I think I've always known I wanted to go into medicine and I was inspired in large part by uh, my mother, who's a retired anesthesiologist. And I spent a lot of my childhood in, um, in the hospital when she was on call, just running around um, with my siblings. Um, so, so it's been, uh, and I was always uh, naturally good at uh, sciences. So it seemed like a natural fit for me. Um, and I decided, I think, to go into oncology much later in my internal medicine residency um, and at that point, we rotated through um, the oncology inpatient service, uh, at which point I um, really felt that it was not only interesting from an academic standpoint, but I had a lot of meaningful interactions with patients and families really at difficult times in their lives. And so that kind of inspired me to go into oncology. But as you know, we don't get much outpatient oncology exposure in uh, the wards. So um, it was really a uh, new experience to um, become a fellow and kind of see that side of um, the outpatient world, which is so different um, and rewarding in its own way. And so, uh, and here I am now, I, I went into GI oncology specifically because I really also liked GI. So it's kind of fun that we're brought together on this uh, podcast now, but, um, I, but I was debating for a little while between GI and oncology. So kind of merged those two interests um, and to do what I do now. Uh, and I really also um, have always been drawn to more of the um, delivery policy, economics, uh, human side of uh, of uh, medicine. And um, so I feel that what I'm doing uh, from the research side really fits with that you know longstanding passion of mine to sort of combine um, outcomes research with uh, clinical care. Yeah, that's that really shines through. I think um, it's you know it's so interesting. You can get focused on the molecular and how might we uh, tailor or tinker medications to treat disease, 
And then we can also think more holistically about what other factors are involved. Um, and I think that's what's so intriguing to me about your work. Um, along those lines, I mean, there's been a lot of research on the economic burden of cancer treatment, but this is really the first study that looks at newly diagnosed patients. Can you walk us through your study? Yeah, absolutely. And just for a little bit of context, uh, context and um, perspective on this, and you kind of alluded to this, that, you know, we are so uh, focused in medicine or a lot of the what you read in the journals is uh, on new advances, new drugs, especially in oncology. I think that contrast is really stark between you know all of the advances we've made which are really wonderful but also um, that there are still very persistent uh, inequities in the care that we deliver across the nation so um, so that's really I, I think where um, I'm focused and um, I think this topic of financial hardship also termed financial toxicity at least in the oncology literature has been out there and, and there's been a lot of, um, I think, interest in this topic for, for you know, about 15 years or so now. Um, but really the research has sort of exploded in the last several years. A lot of the prior work has focused on um, cancer survivors, long-term cancer survivors, and trying to understand, you know, sort of uh, retrospectively what the impact of cancer was on, on patients' um, financial status, financial health, but very few studies had really looked at um, the trajectory of financial burden in patients with cancer, sort of when these financial hardships happen, uh, how, what, the, what the incidence is, um, and, um, and especially in patients with advanced cancer who have unique burdens, like not being able to work and sort of the chronicity of treatment over time. And that's sort of where I wanted to focus this study on um, is trying to understand how uh, a newly diagnosed population of patients with a single kind of cancer, because again, a lot of the prior studies had focused on people with various cancers. So how this group of patients would fare um, on treatment from a financial standpoint. And so that's what we attempted to do in this study was to enroll a cohort of advanced colorectal cancer patients um, ask them to complete surveys over a year timeframe, collect data from their credit reports as well over the same timeframe, and really understand the cumulative incidence of financial hardship in this population. And when we talk about financial hardship or financial toxicity, we tend to associate it with people who are uninsured, underinsured, or low income. How widespread was the effect in your study? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I definitely think people who lack insurance um, are perhaps at greatest risk, of course, for not even accessing the healthcare system at all. And to pay out of pocket for care is almost um, unfathomable for these people. So they end up, you know, sort of not even being included in the in the conversation. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done to improve access to care. But in this study, we were focusing on people who had access care in community oncology clinics throughout the country. And um, and, and the population that we studied, 98% of these people had some form of health insurance, either through Medicare, um, a small percentage Medicaid, but the vast majority had commercial insurance. And our key finding was that after, uh, at about a year, from diagnosis, uh, close to 75% of patients experience some form of financial hardship. And uh, there's 
different ways you can you can measure financial hardship. In this study, we used a relatively well accepted um, metric um, where financial hardship was defined as either experiencing debt of some kind um, related to medical expenses, selling or refinancing one's primary home, a 20% or more uh, decline in income um, relative to pre-diagnosis. Those numbers are staggering. 75% uh, impacted at one year. I think sometimes we don't we don't consider how these diagnoses that we are making on you know on the GI side impact people over their upcoming um, months and years. It's it's really eye opening. I'm curious: is there any breakdown by age within your data? Yeah, so we looked at a number of factors to determine whether, um, you know, the prior literature had suggested that people who are younger, people who are unmarried, people who had um, lower income, racial minorities, these are all the people who are more likely to experience financial hardship. And and I think that's probably the, the case. In our study, we did not find a significant association between any of these factors and risk of financial hardship, and that's probably because the outcome was so was so common. <laughs> there, there was such a high incidence of financial hardship in this population. I definitely think, though, that if we really think about who's at greatest risk, it's going to be people who are, you know, with respect to age, people who are younger, people who have. Uh, who are not necessarily protect, protected by Medicare insurance, who have, um, who have, who are highly dependent on income, um, who are working age, right? And if they are, um, if they are sick and can't work, they're going to bear the brunt of that. Um, and um, people who have less savings um, don't have retirement. So these are the people who I think are going to be the most affected financially. And so, I, and I think that's important when we think about um, solutions and interventions. You know, who are the people that might benefit most from added support, financial navigation, um, other kinds of interventions to uh, mitigate risk of financial hardship? And with increasing incidence of colorectal cancer in patients aged 40 to 50, your study really highlights an increasing need. Um, so it's it's incredibly relevant. Yeah, absolutely, and oh, and and uh, you know, I think we have to um, also think about the the um, epidemiology of the people who are diagnosed at younger age. Which um, you know, there's definitely an increased risk among Black patients who also face a lot of the um, or, or have a lot of the uh, health-related social needs potentially that we see can impact care access and delivery. So, I think this is going to be a really um, as you said, important area um, to pay attention to as we move forward and as the sort of um, uh, demographic of newly diagnosed patients changes. Right. It really adds another risk factor on top of some of the established biologic risk factors. And, you know, along those lines, how does financial toxicity affect patients? How does it affect their treatments? That's a great question. There have been a number of studies, including work that we've done in our group, trying to um, really understand the impact of financial hardship on a variety of outcomes. So in the study we're talking about, 
we did show that people who have who experienced financial hardship as we as we you know defined it the cohort who experienced it were more likely to experience um, poorer quality of life at subsequent time points so and, and other studies have also shown this association between financial hardship and health-related quality of life. And that's not a hard leap to make. I mean, obviously, if you're struggling financially, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to have impacts on how you feel and, and your stress levels, et cetera. Um, but there are a number of other um, potential consequences like adherence to treatment. A number of studies have shown that people are more likely to avoid treatment, skip doses of oral chemotherapeutics in order to save money. Uh, and we did a study a number of years ago showing that cancer patients in Washington state who file for bankruptcy are more likely to die from their cancer than cancer patients who don't file for bankruptcy. So that's just one, you know, one example of uh, severe financial hardship. But I think it's safe to say that people who are struggling financially are less likely to adhere and probably more likely to um, have poorer outcomes from a recurrent standpoint and even from a survival standpoint. And what can be done about the financial hardships faced by patients diagnosed with cancer? Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's a really complex problem. So, you know, I, I think a lot of attention, probably appropriately, has been paid to drug costs. You know, these are Oncology is known for expensive drugs, especially as drugs shift to oral. Um, people and, the, and the, the prescription coverage is different from medical coverage. People are experiencing more out-of-pocket spending for these oral cancer drugs. So that's a big part of the, um, of, of the puzzle here is trying to make sure that we have processes and clinics in place to um, to understand what the out-of-pocket burden is going to be on patients and figure out strategies to align patients with resources from foundations or pharma companies to deal with the, um, these out-of-pocket costs. I think that's a small step in the right direction. The larger conversation around drug pricing has to be had as well. And I think that might be a little out of scope for our conversation today. Um, but I think there are, um, I think to put the, to say that the only problem here is drug costs is, is maybe a little bit um, uh, too um, not holistic enough. I think it comes down to all of the factors we talked about before, people can't work. There are pre-existing financial challenges that people have that when cancer is added to it and all the costs associated with travel, food, childcare, et cetera, it just becomes untenable. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, making sure that people have access to um, counseling about employment benefits, financial counseling in general about how to manage all of the other expenses associated with cancer and general life, um, help with transportation, help with meals. Um, I think these are all part of the puzzle as well. Yeah, I think as you've noted, I mean, it's such a complex problem. And I don't know that we're here to offer solutions, but it's studies like yours that really shed a light on the problem that begin that conversation. Um, and so I applaud you. I think this is a really solid step forward. Thank you. And I will just mention uh, uh, on the topic of solutions. So 
we've been working for a while now on um, a financial navigation program with uh, some local partners in, in Seattle, Washington, which is where I live and practice, um, called Consumer Education and Training Services, a financial counseling organization here, as well as a national organization called Patient Advocate Foundation. And together with these organizations, we developed and pilot tested an intervention where newly diagnosed patients and their caregivers receive financial counseling supports and navigation throughout the cancer journey. Um, so we've taken that concept and uh, started a national study through SWAG, which is the same group where we conducted the original study we're talking about today. And that study is uh, in progress. It's, it's an active study where it's a randomized study where patients and caregivers are being randomized to either receiving the financial navigation and counseling intervention or usual care. And we're trying to show that what we hope and what we hypothesize we'll find out is that people who receive the financial navigation will not only have um, uh, improved treatment adherence, they'll be less likely to end up in the hospital or ED, which has been shown to be at higher risk among people who have lower financial means. Their caregivers will be less burdened. They'll have uh, improved quality of life and improved outcomes. So that's kind of what we're working on right now as a sort of next step to the study, the, the um, colorectal cancer study we just discussed. That's really exciting. Thanks for giving us a glimpse of the future there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, Dr. Shankaran, it strikes me you had, you had mentioned, you know, you've been in medicine for, for longer than you haven't. Um, and yet you've done so much with your career to date and you have so many um, more productive years ahead. Do you have any advice? Do you have any advice for young people who might want to follow along a similar pathway as yours? Um, well, I just think that uh, one of the most rewarding aspects of my career so far has been working with fellows and junior faculty and mentoring them. Um, not only clinically, but on the academic side as well. And what I always tell the fellows is, um, you know, well, first of all, I think mentorship is key. Having an invested and um, dedicated mentor who's probably far enough along in their career that they can turn their focus to uh, helping helping the next generation, which I would admit that probably uh, I only fell into this in the last five years or so. Um, but I think um, one of the uh, one of the common things I see is just a, a hesitation to get stuff out there, get ideas out there, get drafts together, send you know sort of partially hashed out ideas to uh, mentors for feedback and review. And I always tell my fellows, you know, just doesn't matter what it is, just get the ideas out there, and we can work from there. Research is really a collaborative, iterative process. Nothing has to be perfect. You just have to have uh, perseverance and some degree of momentum. And eventually something really cool will come out of, you know, just an idea that you maybe weren't so confident about in the beginning. Um, so that's that's kind of my advice. And, and I've just been lucky enough to have um, great mentors along the way, a really supportive institution. A great resource for at least oncology fellows is ASCO um, and the Conquer Cancer Foundation, which is a, a grant and foundation 
offshoot of ASCO um, that provides a lot of uh, early career support um, in terms of grants, um, awards for high profile abstract submissions, things like this that really can get one's career launched. I'm not sure, and I assume there must be something equivalent in the GI world um, for, for trainees, but just take advantage of all those early career opportunities because one success sort of begets the next. Well put. Um, and where can our interested listeners find out more about your work? Um, so uh, a lot of a lot of our work is up on our website, uh, the Hutchinson Institute for Cancer Outcomes Research, or HICOR. So if you just Google HICOR at Fred Hutch, you'll come up with a lot of our um, community work and publications on the topic of financial toxicity, but also a lot of the other research we've been doing. Dr. Shankaran, thank you so much for joining Gastro Broadcast. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com. Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.